With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The volume. There's so much to be thankful for. Family, friends, food, and NFL football all week long. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping your Thanksgiving week full of action. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NFL action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. No matter your appetite, there's something for you. Money lines, parlays, props, live bets, and so much more. You name it, they've got it. I like to watch the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I like to bet on the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. So you can bet that I am going to be making a lot of prop bets on DraftKings on Thanksgiving Day. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MANIX. New customers can bet five on the NFL Thanksgiving action to score 150 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code Maddox. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort, Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Hope everyone is having a great Thanksgiving week, a great start to this holiday season. Boxing is certainly giving us great things this holiday season. You never know what you're going to get on an end-of-the-year boxing schedule, but this year, you are getting some good stuff. It starts this weekend. Doubleheader, Katie Taylor, Chantel Cameron 2 
over in Ireland. In the U.S., you've got Demetrius Andrade against David Benavidez, a showdown between two undefeated 168-pound contenders. And then next week, you've got Ryan Garcia back. The week after that, Devin Haney against Regis Progre. I just saw the clip that Matchroom posted about the face-off I did between Haney and Progre. It was incredible. And I think the fight is going to be even better. So stay on the lookout for that. And then on the 16th of December, we get a unification fight in the 112-pound division. Bam Rodriguez against Sonny Edwards. Great fight between two of the top smaller fighters in the world. And then December 23rd in Saudi Arabia, Anthony Joshua is back. Deontay Wilder is back. Dimitri Bivol is back. You even got Jarrell Miller back in a pretty big fight. So at least through Christmas, your Saturdays are booked if you are a boxing fan. That's something to be excited about as we close out 2023. We've got a great show lined up for you this week. We're going to talk about all that. Uh, Jim Lampley, the Hall of Fame broadcaster. Lance Pugmire, veteran boxing journalist. They are on the call, or at least on the stream, for pay-per-view.com on Saturday, which will be broadcasting the David Benavidez-Demetrius uh, Andrade fight. Uh, I talked to Jim and Lance about what we saw last weekend from Shakur Stevenson, a pretty uninspiring performance, uh, and what kind of lingering effects that may have on Shakur's career. We also talk about Katie Taylor against Chantel Cameron. Big moment for Katie Taylor trying to avenge her lone professional defeat. But we really get into the Andrade Benavidez fight. And I want to know if Jim and Lance are going to join me on Andrade Island. If you listen to this podcast, you know I am an unabashed supporter of Demetrius Andrade. He has been waiting a long time for this opportunity, and I believe he's going to shine in it. Jim and Lance talked to me about that fight and much more. A little bit later in the show, David Benavidez is here. I stopped by the press conference in L.A. on Tuesday, sat down with David Benavidez. He looked like he was in great shape. He looked like he was close to being on weight. He was motivated. I had a great chat with David Benavidez about this fight and his pathway to Canelo Alvarez. We know that is the end game for David Benavidez to get into the ring with Canelo. We talk about how this fight... He hopes to be a springboard to that fight. So stick around for that conversation with David Benavidez. Before I get to any of that, I do have to weigh in on what I saw this week between WBC President Mauricio Suleiman and Ring Magazine. This was one of the weirder stories of the week, which began when Mauricio Suleiman at the WBC convention in Uzbekistan had this to say about Ring Magazine's decision not to sanction the Bam Rodriguez-Sonny Edwards fight for its Ring title. The Ring Magazine is a magazine. Uh, I don't know why media and champions and promoters give any credit to a Ring Magazine belt which only threatens the credibility of the sport. I am very upset because they just declared a few days ago that the rankings of the organizations are corrupt. And uh, if you touch my WBC, I'm going to fight back. I don't care about the Ring Magazine because they are a business. They make money. They are biased. And uh, that is not boxing. Boxing is what you see here. The world of boxing united to make boxing better and safer a paper 
magazine awarding a belt has no meaning. All right, there is a lot to unpack there. And it begins with this idea that Ring Magazine is a business that should not be trusted or should not be uh, held in high esteem. The WBC is a business. They are a for-profit business. Uh, And I thought it was kind of rich that Mauricio was making these comments at his latest boondoggle in Uzbekistan. That, right up the top, I found amusing. But it it shows just an incredible lack of self-awareness by Mauricio Suleiman to try to diminish what Ring Magazine has been doing and what they are, they are doing uh, with their titles and with their rankings. Let me give you a couple reasons why. Let's go back to February, uh, before Jake Paul faced uh, Tommy Fury. Mauricio Suleiman made it clear that if Jake Paul were to beat Tommy Fury, Jake Paul would have a place in the top 40 of the WBC's cruiserweight rankings. Bear in mind that Jake Paul had never faced an actual boxer before. He had faced a basketball player, a bunch of MMA guys, but he had not faced an actual boxer. Yet Mauricio Suleiman seemed to believe that if Jake Paul defeated Tommy Fury, he was worthy of a cruiserweight ranking. He also sanctioned that fight with some bizarro WBC title, which I'm sure they took some kind of fee for. Uh, Jake Paul is a lot of things good for boxing among them, as I've written many times. A win over Tommy Fury does not make Jake Paul worthy of a cruiserweight ranking. But putting that aside, you want to look a little more recent. At the most recent WBC convention, Mauricio Suleiman of the WBC deemed it worthy to place Francis Ngannou at the number 10 spot in the WBC rankings. This is the same Francis Ngannou who, in his first pro boxing match, gave... Uh, Tyson Fury, all he could ask for in the ring. Really, you know, fought him as best that he possibly could. Did a great job in that fight, but ultimately wound up on the losing end of that fight. And look, we can quarrel with the judging. I I happen to think it was fairly scored. I thought Tyson Fury did enough to win that fight. Uh, a A close loss in your pro debut does not warrant a place in the top 10 of any sanctioning body's rankings. It just doesn't. And think about it. Look at the guys who are below Nganu in the rankings. You've got uh, Philip Hergovich, who is 11th in the WBC rankings. Philip Hergovich is undefeated. Philip Hergovich is in line for a world title shot in early 2024 via another sanctioning body. Philip Hergovich shouldn't be ranked higher than France Ngannou. How about Jaylee uh, Zhang, who has coming off back-to-back monster knockout wins over Joe Joyce? He's not worthy of a spot ahead of France Ngannou. It's ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. Here is why France Ngannou is ranked in the top 15. If you are ranked in the top 15 of the WBC rankings, then you, by definition, by rule, can fight for a WBC title, which means, let's say Tyson Fury gets through Alexander Usyk uh, in February, then maybe again middle of next year. They do two fights. Let's say that happens. Uh, There's going to be a rematch. There's no doubt about it. And in that rematch, France Ngannou can fight for the WBC title because France Ngannou is ranked. That's what this is all about. It is a cash grab. 
it is a way to get sanctioning fees off Fury and off Ngannou in the rematch. Simple as that. Now, why they ranked Ngannou in the top 10 but they didn't have to, I wasn't really sure about. I checked in with a bunch of boxing people, and the most common response that I got was it was a PR play. Now, the WBC can say Ngannou was so good, we think he's a top 10 heavyweight. He's 10th, but they think now he's a top 10 heavyweight. So that's what that was ultimately all about. Getting Francis Ngannou ranked, getting him inside that top 15 so that he can fight for the world title some point in time in 2024. But there are so many other examples as well. I mean, the creation of the franchise championship was one of the worst additions to boxing that we've seen in the last 20, 25 years, maybe longer. Franchise championship meant nothing. It All it did was serve to confuse the lightweight division where Lomachenko had it, then Teofimo Lopez had it, then Devin Haney had a version of it, and everybody was arguing over who was unified, who was undisputed. It made a giant mess of the lightweight division. Same thing with Canelo, who was the franchise championship champion at 160. It, it, just, it just became this uh, distraction that was not good for the sport overall. Now, look, I happen to think that Mauricio personally is a pretty good guy. But like the other sanctioning bodies, I think the relationship between them and boxing is largely parasitic. Like, they are out for themselves. They are looking to make as much money as they they possibly can. Another example, and this is, came to my mind because I was at the uh, Andre Benavides presser. You see Jamal Charlo there. Jamal Charlo has been the WBC middleweight champion for over two years now. He is not defending his title in this fight against Jose Benavidez. He's fighting it at a catchweight above 160. And he's made it pretty clear that because the money fights for him are at 168, uh, he's more likely than not headed in that direction. But the WBC, despite having an interim champion in Carlos Adames, has kept Charlo installed as its primary champion. And the reason they're doing that, and I said this to Mauricio's face when he appeared on the podcast recently, is because they're hoping that Jamal Charlo faces Canelo Alvarez. And if they do, it will be WBC champion against WBC champion. That's what they want. There's no altruistic reason for this. There's no concern about Jamal Charlo getting his life together. They want Jamal Charlo to be the recognized WBC champion if and when he faces Canelo Alvarez. Simple as that. So, look, Ring Magazine is not beyond reproach. Ring Magazine is owned by Golden Boy Promotions, which presents a conflict of interest in and of itself. But Doug Fisher, who is the longtime editor of Ring Magazine, I think is one of the most credible and respectable journalists out there. They have a legitimate panel that votes on these rankings that are filled with, are populated by legitimate journalists. You just can't say that Ring Magazine is this lesser version of a boxing entity when, look, Ring Magazine doesn't charge for any sanctioning fees. They don't take any sanctioning fees off fire. That's why I've often said, if you're a guy like Canelo or an undisputed champion, like Terrence Crawford even, uh, just keep the ring belt. Like, fight for the ring belt. Like, everybody knows you're number one in your weight class. Why spend seven figures to 
defend titles that are meaningless to you. They don't mean anything to these top guys. I mean, Errol Spence brought this up recently. Like, why? where is this money all going? Why are we paying these exorbitant sanctioning fees? If you're at the top of your game, screw the titles. Just focus on Ring Magazine, which is, does not charge you a sanctioning fee, and just being undefeated in the best fights. That's a simple. That's all it is. So that's my take on this This back and forth. I, I found it to be goofy. Uh Again, I think Mauricio is a nice enough guy. Everybody I talk to says he's a very, very nice guy. You know, means well, but the WBC, they, they just nobody steps on rakes more often than WBC. They do just dumb things like we're going to rank Jake Paul, uh, Jamal Charlo can keep his title, uh, France Ngannou top ten. Like th- these are all goofy things that have no business in boxing, and, and that's my takeaway from all that. I, I, I think. Doug Fisher and Ring Magazine are right. Mauricio Suleiman and the WBC are just plain wrong. All right, that's my speech. Let's get into it with Jim Lampley and Lance Pugmire. All right, so I wear a few hats in the boxing game, so it is always humbling to bring on a couple of guys who wear them better than I do. Jim Lampley is a Hall of Fame broadcaster, the longtime voice of HBO Boxing. Lance Pugmire is a veteran boxing writer from the Los Angeles Times, The Athletic, the most recent winner of the prestigious Nat Fleischer Award for Excellence in Boxing Journalism. Jim and Lance are teammates this week for pay-per-view.com, where you can watch the Demetrius Andre David Benavidez fight, 168-pound uh, interim title on the line. No subscription required over at pay-per-view.com. Great quality stream. And they will also be hosting a live, exclusive, interactive fan chat that you can join and uh, you know, talk to two of the best boxing minds out there uh, during the course of of that fight, Jim and Lance, kind enough to join me here on the show. So, guys, I do want to get into all things Andrade Benavidez. And I'm going to keep calling it Andrade Benavidez because I'm <laughs> team Demetrius Andrade uh, on this one, as Lance uh, Lance well knows. But there's a couple of topics I want to hit on before. I want to get your takes on some of the stuff. Uh, one thing we saw last weekend and something we're going to see this weekend. Uh, last weekend out in Las Vegas, we had Shakur Stevenson, uh, now a three-division world title holder, after defeating Edwin De Los Santos in a fight that can be charitably described as atrocious. Uh, it was, <laughs> it, it was, it, I mean, it was bad. It was a bad fight uh, from start to finish. There was very little action. You know, the CompuBox numbers reflect that. Shakur Stevenson gets the win, but even he said after the fact that it, it wasn't great or admitted it wasn't great. There was talk about Shakur Stevenson having an injury, which by the way, I buy. Like I believe Shakur Stevenson went into that fight with an injury. I- I'm just thinking, like, did Shakur Stevenson do himself any favors by, you know, going forward with this fight with an injury? Yes, he got a nice purse. Yes, he collected a title in a third weight class. But the negativity around Shakur is kind of back to those levels that it was very early in his career where people wondered if he would be uh, an entertaining fighter. You know, the, the Valdez win, the Conceição win, the-, the good wins he had. Uh, after that have kind of been forgotten about in the aftermath of that uh, stinker. So, Jim, where do you stand on that? I mean, is it like, all right, you get the win, you get the title, you move on? Or, you know, is there a lingering effect? Is there a ripple effect for Shakur Stevenson having fought the way he did? It's both. Uh, From the standpoint of Shakur Stevenson, you take the W, you forget uh, what the crowd or the audience thought about your performance. Uh, you go forward and you assume that you'll find ways to be more entertaining against representative opponents going forward. But the fact of the matter is that um, 
you're always being judged by the boxing audience according to your entertainment value. And boxing fans are not fair. Uh, they want to see risk and they want to see damage. And they're paying to see risk and damage. And so if you are able to walk away with a win uh, without experiencing any risk and without doing any damage, then you have um, corrupted or interfered with your bargain with the boxing audience. Some people get away with it for a long, long time until eventually they are able to harden and develop an audience that appreciates uh, their ability to sidestep the risk element of the sport. Floyd Mayweather ultimately reached that plateau where his audience said, okay, I'm cool with it. Uh, he's getting over on the man. He's getting over on the game. He's making the biggest possible money. And he's not putting himself even remotely within uh, touch of any risk. And I'm, I'm willing to support it. But it takes a long time to, to build a case that way. And you also have to have a personality factor. If Floyd had not been the first great social media genius uh, and understood how to build that audience on social media and give it uh, a different kind of meat and potatoes to latch onto, he would not have gotten over the way he did. Shakur has not yet shown any of the kind of public relations skill that Floyd Mayweather ultimately demonstrated. So he's going to have to, if he wants to keep an audience, fight more entertainingly than was the case last weekend. Yeah, and Jim, I would argue that you know, Devin Haney is already trying to climb that. He's already got a few rungs ahead on that Floyd Mayweather ladder where, you know, he's super talented, but he's also also hated. Like most people don't like Devin Haney for some reason. Um, and he just wins. He wins by decision. And then guys call him out, call him boring, and he just keeps on winning. So I would argue that Devin Haney's got a chance to grab that audience, that Floyd kind of audience before Shakur Stevenson ultimately does. Lance, what do you think? I mean, like, you know, ultimately, you know, Shakur is going to go home with a fatter bank account. He's going to go home with a nice green belt that he can hang on his mantle. But to Jim's point, like, there are probably a lot of paying customers inside T-Mobile Arena that are like, I don't want to see Shakur Stevenson ever again. I watched this fight at home with like half a dozen people. Uh, they don't want to see Shakur Stevenson ever again. Like, is is that kind of a short-term thing, do you think? Or is is this the kind of thing that could become a problem for Shakur Stevenson down the line? Look, I mean, having covered him, his fights early in his career, I kind of had those same thoughts. I mean, he came out as a uh, Olympic silver medalist. You're like, okay, let's see what this guy's all about. And he killed the room, you know? And that's what happened Saturday night. He killed the room, right? I mean, it was a very disappointing effort. But the thing is, we know that Shakur is great. We've seen him defeat Oscar Valdez. We've seen, you know, what, how, the way he dominated uh, up in Reno, Joette Gonzalez. He's a he's a great talent, and I I think those the, the bigger fights are out there before him. He's not going to stink up a room when he's participating in those fights, whether it's against Haney or whether it's against Lomachenko, uh, against you know Tank Davis. I want to see those fights, and I mean I it wasn't it didn't happen Saturday night, but it can happen for for Shakur because he is so superbly talented. You know he's just so brilliantly trained and his speed is is honestly like second to none. So I think all the skill and talent is there. If he had an injury, let that reveal itself. I mean, I think you need to say something based on what happened in that bout. But, you know, look, we know the sport. We know what we see in Shakur Stevenson. The talent is there. He just, you know, he can't make it a habit of fighting that way, or he's never going to be the pay-per-view star that he wants to uh, become. Jim, let me ask you, to Lance's point, Shakur 
clearly had something going on there. Bob Arum, who's got no filter, you know, basically said afterwards they were afraid that Shakur was going to have to back out of this fight, which they needed to put on because ESPN was building the entire weekend around F1. There was a reason it was taking place on Thursday night. Would, how do you feel about fighters after the fact revealing compromising injuries? Would you prefer that they did it? Or would you rather do what Shakur attempted to do, which is keep his mouth shut? They should prefer that they didn't. You don't gain any capital with the fans uh, by pleading injury after a performance like that. Uh, you, you go forward and do something else that reestablishes your foothold and gives you the image that you're looking for. I don't think injury, no injury, whatever the situation is, he's not going to get away with that kind of a paint job against Devin Haney or Tank Davis. So go fight Devin Haney or Tank Davis. Give the audience what they want. Engage in a fight that will produce some contact and show you can win it. Uh, if you can do to those guys what you did with Valdez, then all of this is forgotten. I'm shocked that you hear you say that, Jim, because I was under the impression that you were influenced several years ago or many years ago now by David Hay standing on a table and revealing his injured toe after the Vladimir Klitschko fight. You were over there for that fight. I'm, I'm shocked. That I you thought were it was disgraceful. Not... I thought it was disgraceful. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the difference was that Hay lost the fight. Uh, and and Shakur was doing this after a win. So there's a slightly different character to what's going on. True, true. Uh, look, Shakur is going to have a chance to wipe this off, off his, his resume. He's probably going to fight in the first quarter of 2024. And after that, assuming Vasily Lomachenko beats George Cambos, which I think is going to happen in Australia sometime in the first quarter, a Shakur Lomachenko fight in Vegas is a big deal. And that could be kind of his, his king making moments, uh, which you know would, would certainly go a long way towards winning some of those fans uh, back. Um, we're going to talk about Andre Benavidez, but also this weekend before Andre Benavidez over in Ireland, you've got the rematch between Katie Taylor and Chantel Cameron, all the belts on the line at 140 pounds. Katie obviously absorbed the first loss of her professional career earlier this year. Uh, when she lost to Chantel, they're going to run it back. Same arena, same city, same everything uh, in Ireland. Lance, I thought this was an interesting decision by Katie Taylor because she's the money woman in all of women's boxing. If she decided to go back to 135, she could have made a fight against Amanda Serrano. She could have made a fight against Alicia Baumgartner. She could have made a fight against Michaela Mayer and still made a boatload of money against one of those opponents. Instead, she's going to go back and try to right the wrong, try to avenge the defeat, which comes, I think, with a significant amount of risk. What do you make of Taylor's decision to do that and how much of a chance do you give her in this rematch? You know, it's who, it's who Katie Taylor is, right? I mean, it's it, it's the person that we saw in there against Amanda Serrano. When that fight got tough at its most critical moments, who was Katie Taylor? You know, she is a, she's a fighter and she's absorbed this defeat and she wants to avenge it. And, and that's that's what she's all about. I, I can I can I'm so uh, when I reflect back on first meeting Katie Taylor at Madison Square Garden when she fought uh, Delphine Pursun, you know, so many years ago. You know, you can just see there's like this uh, inner passion and just desire inside of her to be the the great greatest woman's fighter of all time. And when she left the ring at Madison Square Garden years later against uh, Amanda Serrano, she was that. And she has lifted the women's boxing to incredible heights. She is putting this putting the sport 
on her back. And I think she can be excused, you know, it sort of taken like a sigh of relief in the first fight against Cameron. And now she says, okay, I want to avenge it. I'm going to show how great I am. And there's no other option in her mind, clearly, because this is the fight that she's participating in. Jim, I know that it's only five pounds between 135, where Katie Taylor has been dominant, and 140, where she just lost. But weight classes do exist for a reason. And Katie Taylor has only fought twice above 135 pounds. She is every bit the career 135-pounder. When I watched that first fight, one of the immediate takeaways is that Katie Taylor was bullied. Like, she was out-physicaled by a bigger fighter. I'm not sure how you compensate for that. I think there are things that Taylor is going to be better at. I think having a second go-round in her hometown. I mean, people forget. Maybe they don't forget, but people should know. This was the first time she has fought in Ireland as a professional. She is like the LeBron James of Ireland. She is a major star in Ireland. So there must have been a lot coursing through her on that Saturday night when she fought in Ireland. So I think having a second bite at the apple is going to make her better. I also think she's a smart fighter. Her trainer is a smart guy. They're going to go to school on that loss, and they'll come back with some adjustments. But you can't teach size, and Katie Taylor is going to be the smaller fighter again when she faces Chantel Cameron. What do you think of her chances in the rematch? No point in being Irish if you can't prove it, right? Uh, you know, she <laughs> good point. She wants to avenge the loss. It's it's as simple as that. And uh, yes, boxing fans often uh, incorrectly go to the conclusion: well, it's only five pounds; it doesn't make that much difference. These are finely tuned, calibrated athletes they know the difference in their hearts and in their bodies between being 135 and 140 uh and uh, and i do think her opponent is naturally slightly the larger woman um so one of two things is going to happen either katie taylor is going to produce a memorable epic performance a comeback win uh that will lift her to even greater heights of uh celebration and notoriety in her home country and at that point, she really ought to consider retiring or she's going to lose again, uh, at which point she may not have to make the retirement decision. It may be more or less fait accompli. Uh, she's risking her bargaining power by taking this matchup the way that she is, as opposed to, as you say, taking what might be an even bigger payoff for another fight with Serrano. Uh, but seeking to avenge her loss that's the competitor in her. Uh, just as Lance says, this is who Katie Taylor is. That's the Irish in her. We'll see what happens. Lance, what do, you, what do you think of the idea that Katie Taylor should retire if she wins or even should retire if she loses? Now, to be clear, Katie is not even entertaining that. She Every time somebody brings up retirement, she thinks she has a lot of good years left in her. But she is 37 years old. Exactly. She has been through some wars. Uh, I think Katie's motivation to fight stems from all the big opportunities that are out there for her. I mean, she turned pro back in 2016 with a big name, but it's only the last couple of years where she started to become a million-dollar fighter, where she started to do you know, the kind of gates that she's done at Madison Square Garden, at Three Arena. And win or lose, there are some big gates and big paydays waiting for her back at 135 against you know, Serrano, hopefully in what would be a really anticipated rematch, uh, or any of the other women that I mentioned. Do you think that retirement is in the off ramp to retirement is right there. Do you see it? 
I don't think she sees it and that's all that matters. You know, I mean, I, she's, she's made that point pretty clear. And I think exactly what's in Katie Taylor's mind is to win this fight and then to go back to Serrano and, and stage another classic uh, against her. I mean, it's a great, it's a great path. I mean, Katie Taylor has done, like I said, so much for the sport and she knows what she wants. And I, I think she can see that vision and who are we to doubt her? I mean, Katie Taylor is someone that, I don't know. You've been in her presence many times, Chris, and you know, you can just, you know, when you've got someone who is a, a special uh, human being, especially in this, in the sport. And that is Katie Taylor. I can, I, I, I'm not a mind reader, but I know exactly that she wants to win this fight against a bigger person to, to silence the, those doubts that are out there and then go back and have another classic with Serrano. You know, at that point, she will be probably 38 years old. And at that point, she's going to be able to have the opportunity to make that decision. But she wants to go out on her, on her terms, and she deserves to go out on her terms, given everything that she's done in, uh, you know, filling Madison Square Garden, bringing the, you know, the whole Irish fan base to the sport the way she, she has, uh, doing so many things to really... You know, for those of us who have covered women's boxing before Katie Taylor, we knew what was the, the quality of the of these fighters was. And to see it personified in such a uh, uh, a very talented uh, boxer has been a sight to behold. Yeah, the only thing I would I'll be watching for in this fight is how the legs are working for Katie Taylor. Um one thing she's been doing in recent fights is standing up in between rounds. And that is because when she sits, she gets some cramping issues with her legs. And if her legs aren't there, if she isn't able to have kind of that fast bounce movements, then, you know, maybe it will be time to start thinking about calling it a career, but I'm fascinated by this fight. It is a bold move for Katie Taylor to stay at 140 to take this challenge on again. And I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I am also looking forward to the big one this weekend, David Benavidez, against Demetrius Andrade. And I would like to take this opportunity, gentlemen, <laughs> to welcome you to Andrade Island, to to invite you in. I've got suites ready for you at the Andrade Hotel. Uh, there is vacancy because there aren't a lot of people on this island with me, but I've been on this island for many years now. I have been staunch in my belief that Demetrius Andrade is one of the pound-for-pound -pound best fighters in all of boxing. And the fact that he is not on those pound-for-pound -pound lists is because nobody will fight him. At 154, he couldn't get a fight with Canelo Alvarez. At 160, he had a big promoter behind him. He had a world title around his waist. He had millions of dollars to offer opponents like Canelo and Jamal Charlo and Gennady Golovkin, and nobody would fight him. Moves up to 168. He gets a low-level fight earlier this year, and now he gets that opportunity against David Benavidez. This is Demetrius Andrade's moment, fellas. And when I saw that betting line at more than 5-1 to one a couple of weeks ago, right? oh yeah, oh yeah, I went all in on Demetrius Andrade to win this fight by decision on Saturday night over David Benavidez. Jim, you were there at the, you know, metaphorical inception of Demetrius Andrade as a professional, him, him at 154 pounds fighting on HBO. You know how good this guy is. Uh, tell me what kind of chance you're giving him on Saturday night against David Benavides. 50-50 at worst. Uh, you know, how many times does the go-forward destroyer, I don't care how thrilling, how good, now how skilled, et cetera, et cetera, how many times does the go-forward destroyer beat the tricky left-handed counterpuncher in a, in a pick-em fight. In a pick-em fight, the, the southpaw counterpuncher 
has the advantage. That's the reason he's been so avoided. That people don't run to fight somebody like Demetrius Andre. They don't want to go into the ring and try to solve that puzzle. And it is a puzzle. And oh, by the way, he's going to be in spectacular condition. He's going to be ready to fight 12 full rounds at uh, a pace that suits him. He he has multiple skills. He's well-trained. He's got a good corner. There are all sorts of reasons to join you at Hotel Andrade on this particular <laughs> fight. The public roots for Benavides because he's attractive, he's glamorous, and he gives them what they want. He is a high-risk, go-forward, knockout-type puncher. And, and those are the kinds of fighters to whom fans and betters will flock, given the opportunity. And they're flocking to Benavides once again. Nobody roots for Demetrius Andrade, except for Andrade and his family and his followers and Chris Mannix. But if, if you pin me to the wall, and and say who do you who is the most logical choice to win the fight? The logical choice to win the fight is Andre. Mm. Let's um two things I like about Andre going into this fight. One, he's not you know pillow fisted. He's he's not he can punch like he's knocked down a bunch of guys in his career. One of it, but it's just one of the things Andre does that drives me and others crazy is that when he builds a lead. He kind of puts it in cruise control and says, you know what? I'm going to win, you know, three of the next six rounds and I'll win a lopsided decision. A lot of that flows from his father, Paul, who has kind of drilled into him that mentality of fighting. In this fight, he doesn't have to worry about a knockout. Like nobody's expecting Demetrius Andre to knock out David Benavides. All Andre has to do is box his style, fight his fight, and he's got a good chance at winning a decision. Where do you stand in all this? Look, I think that you can sit here and watch Demetrius Andrade's uh, boxing throughout this evening. You know, one, two, three, four rounds. It can all change if De David Benavides lands some hammer punches on him. And I think that's what Benavides is plotting to do. Like, this is this reminds me a lot. Well, I'm not going to say it's as extreme as Wilder uh, when uh, Wilder fought Luis Ortiz. And it was like seven or six rounds to zero Ortiz. And then, boom, it's over. But... I think Benavides is going to, you know, that's fine. You want to box, go ahead and box. I'm going to size you up and then I'm going to land these hammer punches on you and end the night. And so from my standpoint, I understand why the the betters are supporting Benavides. This guy hits in this weight class like no other. And uh, well, do you think, do you think that though, Lance, like he could, he's an active puncher and a heavy handed guy. Yeah. He's not wild. Like he doesn't have one right. punch it's, knockout. Pop. Right. And that's what, I know Demetrius to say that too. You know, it's look, it's not going to happen in one punch, but if a few of them land, believe me, all it, it could, one could wobble them and then another one could, could drop them. So that's what I'm expecting will happen in this fight. I like Benavides in this fight. I think Benavides is a force to be reckoned with. And he wants to impose his will and get to that Canelo fight. And he's going to, you know, lay to waste Demetrius Andre in doing so. What, right, well, what I want to give you a what, ferry what, ticket what, to get off Aaron Island. Fight. I mean, look at this. Lance and I are going to be standing there together, commenting with each other on PPV.com on what goes, goes, goes on in the fight. Lance is saying Benavides is a logical winner. I'm saying in a fight like this, the Southpaw counterpuncher usually has a tactical advantage. Does the narrative want Benavides to win? Sure. That's where the drama is. He said to me in an interview last week that he could foresee a path toward him ultimately fighting as a heavyweight. A Mexican-American heavyweight contender would be not just the biggest star in the sport, but one of the biggest 
entertainment commodities in the world. There is no higher horizon you can reach for than to be what David Benavides thinks he can be. But Andrade can upset that destiny. And look, and I'm, I'm pleased by the judging panel in this fight. I think Nevada got three good judges. So my fears that Andrade will get screwed over are somewhat uh, realized. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. I, I feel better about Andre's chances to get a decision with the judging panel that takes place. Jim, one, one other thing I want to hit you on in this was like you mentioned, Demetrius Andrews is going to be in great shape. He's been training at high altitude. Like he had one fight at 168 to kind of get his legs under him in that new weight class. And this is his Super Bowl. Like this is the fight that Demetrius Andrade has been waiting for his entire professional career. This is not the fight that David Benavidez has been waiting for. This is kind of a necessary evil for David Benavidez to get to the fight that he's been waiting for. He had his big moment earlier this year when he fought Caleb Plant. That was a huge opportunity for David Benavidez to get a big name on his resume. He decided not to fight David Morrell in this fight. He went with David uh, Demetrius Andrade, and he has to be having have one eye on a fight against Canelo Alvarez in the first half of uh, of 2024. I think that can work in the favor of Andrade. If you are taking him at all lightly and you're not coming into this fight mentally as focused as your opponent, you've seen it Jim many times. Like that can be a variable in a fight like this. And I think it's a fascinating question why it is that Benavides chose to fight Andrade instead of David Morell. Uh Morell's style would seem to be more in keeping with what is most favorable to uh to David Benavides. But maybe Benavides doesn't think that Andrade has uh, a high quality chin. Uh Golovkin never tested it. Canelo hasn't tested it. So we don't know. Uh, what happens when, as Lance predicts, uh, Benavides lands some quality power punches and in Lance's expectation uh, has Andrade in trouble. Another thing, Andrade has in his camp, in his corner, Victor Conti. Victor Conti has been providing supplement support, nutritional help, et cetera, et cetera, to professional boxers for pretty close to 20 years now. No positive tests. This is not the old Victor Conti of Balco Labs. This is a more within the envelope controlled legal Victor Conti. I'm not sure exactly what the competitive record is, but losses are very few and far between and hard to find. And his fighters generally finish the fight with energy and stamina. And I believe that um, uh, Andre will be able to do that with Victor in his corner. It's a great point, Jim, because while Benavidez has made 168 in his last recent fights, it wasn't too long ago he lost his title on the scale. And, you know, some of the early visuals of David Benavidez's camp have shown him a little bit bigger, not fat or anything like that, but he's a big guy who's probably going to be ticketed for 175 sooner rather than later. One of the reasons he thinks he could ultimately be a heavyweight, he was that weight when he was 12 or 13 years old. It's just a matter of going back in a different envelope. So, uh, you know, he knows the path if he continues to feel as though he can and wants to get there. But a very positive step would be to somehow beat Demetrius Andre. All right, Lance, we'll wrap it with this. Um, this is for the secondary version of the WBC's 168-pound title. Uh, Canelo does not have an obvious opponent for May of next year. Uh do you think Canelo almost has to fight the winner of this fight? And 
does who wins the fight matter when it comes to fighting Canelo? Yeah, I think he does need to fight the winner of this fight. And I think that, you know, Canelo is all about history. And I can remember being down in the bowels of the Alamo Dome after Canelo beat a very crafty, very difficult Austin Trout in in San Antonio. And on that night, it was because of that victory that he got the shot against Floyd Mayweather Jr. And I think Canelo should remember that and say, look, this guy did the same thing I did. He deserves a big fight now. This is the fight because uh, everything you guys are saying is absolutely correct about the how difficult Andre is. If Benavides wins this fight, if he solves that puzzle, he deserves Canelo. And Canelo only has himself to look back and say, you know, look, this is following the, the legacy of, of myself. Or does Canelo have to fight Terrence Crawford? Or has the time come for Canelo to defend pound for pound number one? I Look, Canelo to me is in his Mayweather money years, right? Where he has accomplished everything he needs to accomplish legacy-wise. He's been a world champion at three different weight classes, undisputed at 168. Now it's about the most marketable fights out there. And if Terrence Crawford is the most marketable fight out there, by all means, he should go and do that. We all know Terrence Crawford wants him to say, yes, I want to uh, go and do that. I think, though, Jim, if Demetrius Andrade finds a way to win, and regardless of Lance's negativity, Demetrius is going to find a way to win. If Demetrius Andrade finds a way to win, he's got a pretty good narrative to pitch for a Canelo fight. Oh, yeah. He can say, I had a belt at 154. You wouldn't fight me then. I had a belt at 160. We were under the same, not promotional banner at that time, but the same network banner. Could have made that fight happen. You don't want anything to do with it. Now I'm here at 168. I just beat the guy that everyone says is the most dangerous guy in the division. Now you have to fight me. I I think that Andrade is, if Andrade wins, he is more plausible for May of next year than Benavidez is. If he can sell that case to an audience which has been persistently resistant to him in the past, then yes, you could get into that position. But if Andrade wins the fight, I could very easily hear Canelo thinking to himself, well, if I have to fight a southpaw, I'll fight the smaller one. I'll fight the southpaw who has to come up 20 pounds in weight to face me, as opposed to fighting a guy who just looked pretty good at uh, my weight, 168. I can see that happening. Jim, when you called early Andrade fights, did you see something special in him back then? Because one of the most remarkable factoids about Demetrius Andrade is that he has never fought a current or former world champion. This will be the first current or former world champion that Demetrius Andrade has ever fought. He's in his mid-30s. He is a two-division world champion. And I repeat, he had Eddie Hearn's money behind him, early DAZN money back in the day behind him, and he still couldn't lure a current or former world champion into the ring with him. Did and you I don't see? Think, and I don't think it's because yeah. he wouldn't have signed the contracts to do so. He has wanted to fight name opponents and make big money. Again, nobody runs to fight the tricky southpaw counterpuncher. Uh, Canelo didn't exactly drub Austin Trout. He didn't exactly drub Arislandi Lara. Nobody runs to fight these guys. Uh, they they present a particular kind of challenge. And Andre may be the best of those three. All right, well, make sure you check out Jim and Lance on Saturday night. They will have a live interactive chat on pay-per-view.com where you can order the Demetrius Andre David Benavidez fight. Jim, you are 
Welcome to a weekend away on Android Island. Lance, you can get off. Get out. Don't bring that negativity on Providence, Rhode Island, baby. You guys have fun out there. And when we come back, my conversation with David Benavides. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. All right, David Benavidez is here. Big fight on Saturday against Demetrius Andrews. A fight you can watch live on Showtime pay-per-view. We were just talking about a good uh, good stretch now for Team Benavidez. You had your stablemate, Diego Pacheco, picking up a big win. I-, I was talking to him last week about like the sparring you guys must do. I know he, he didn't really spar with you this much for this fight because Demetrius Andrade's a southpaw, but I would imagine you know two young guys in the same weight class going at it, some pretty good sparring up there. No, it's an amazing sparring. And um, first of all, I just want to give a shout-out to Diego Pacheco. He did really good. Very well-earned victory. Very well-earned knockout, I should say. But uh, we've been sparring for, like, the past four years. So, I mean, he's he's a great talent. He has a lot of talent. He's very fast, great boxer, and he hits hard, too. So um, I'm just happy that I know the sparrings we had kind of, you know, brought the best <laughs> out of him in this fight because, you know, this was uh, – He's, that guy just has so much talent, you know what I mean? And I just hope nothing for the best from him. He definitely is going to be the next champion at Super Middleweight. You know, I said this on the air last weekend that the reason you know Diego is good is that other fighters, other managers, other promoters who have nothing to do with him say he's good. They say he's the real deal. He's the, the best prospect in boxing. You know talent. Where do you stand on all that, on, on his talent specifically? No, yeah. I, I feel like he's going to be champion in Super Middleweight soon. Um... He has everything, man. He's a boxing ability, 
And when he doesn't want to box, he'll sit there and brawl. You know, mm -hmm. he take guys out. He has really good power, man. So he, he's, a whole, he's a whole package. And he's a good dude. Mm -hmm. So he deserves everything that's coming his way. Is it useful to you? Because you've had your brother around a lot as a training partner, sparring partner, I'm sure, at times. Is it useful to you, though, to have somebody like that in your own camp you know not just for this fight but previous fights having kind of that iron sharpen iron sort of feeling in no there. yeah definitely he's like he's helped me a lot in my in my previous training camps and um like i said it just just, just all of us there just having so much talent there i think we all come to a different level because mm -hmm. everybody just wants to, they want the same thing they want to go to the next level mm -hmm. so him uh, my brother daniel blancas even diego's brother too fed pacheco yeah mm -hmm. we're all we're all there's just a, they're working all the time we all had the same dream and we're all definitely going to accomplish mm -hmm. that dream yeah D diego said that lifestyle is a lot better for him than la he said he his days in la he was riding around a corvette you know yeah <laughs> south central yeah a little the, more relaxed the, uh, yeah so that's why you know that's why i told him i thought it'd be a good idea he goes up there mm -hmm. it's just it's more peaceful and you're you know there's a lot of stuff going on here in la you know mm -hmm. what i mean so if you're just it's basically the woods in Seattle. You just go to the woods. It's basically like you're a training camp every day, and you just focus, and you start to zone in on the things that really do matter. Mm -hmm. And that, that, at the end of the day, is your career. Mm -hmm. And um, I know firsthand because I moved from Vegas and went to Seattle, and that's where I feel like I've been the best I've, mm -hmm. I've been. You know, even now, I'm getting to my best, my prime. So it's definitely going to help him out a lot. So you got a big fight coming up, Demetrius Andrew, and I love this fight. Two undefeated guys, two guys that have been avoided uh, throughout the years general basic question how are you feeling as we sit here a few days before going into this fight i feel amazing man uh I've, i only have a couple pounds left to lose mm -hmm. i've been on training extremely hard for this camp i think we have like almost three and a half months training mm -hmm. and uh, this is a fight i wanted this is a fight that i know is hard you know i know demetrius andre is dangerous mm -hmm. he's a good boxer a lot of people ducked him but these are the fights i want mm -hmm. you know i really want to prove to the people and show everybody i'm the best without a doubt mm -hmm. how and um and i guarantee you i'm gonna knock out demetrius andre you wow. know what i mean okay. Either knock him out or stop him. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not going to go good for him. Uh, I had some great, great sparring partners. You know, I had Lawrence, uh, Lawrence King. I had another Colombian that was, uh, I think he was a bronze medalist in the Olympics. So I had some great, great sparring partners. I prepared myself. I didn't leave any stone unturned, so I'm 100% ready for this. Tell me how we got here, because just back in March, you had a, kind of a defining win over Caleb Plant. You were the mandatory for Canelo. Anybody, every, anybody everybody out there said... You were the guy that Canelo needed to fight. You were next in line. How did we get to this point where you're fighting Andrew? We heard David Morrell's name thrown into that mix. Tell me how we got here to to you facing Andrew on Saturday. Um, the the way the reason we got here, honestly, I think Demetrius should give Canelo thanks. You know, because he Canelo didn't take the fight with me. You know, I thought that's what we we're all expecting. Mm -hmm. But hey, at the end of the day, my my job and what my dreams have been is just to be in the best in the division. Period. It doesn't matter if it's Canelo, this and that. So for me to clean out the division, this is really what I'm gonna do, and um, it starts with it started with Caleb Plant. Now it's moving on to Demetrius Andre, and uh, I think overall it gives me more experience. So that's why I'm not even making a big diff. Canelo fights me now or later. I really don't care. I'm just training hard. I'm stay training, getting more experience. This is my second pay per view fight. There was a lot of people in my last fight. There's gonna be a lot of people this fight. So I'm getting used to these big crowds, and I'm really I feel like I'm really coming into my own here, and I'm just very excited and. If Canelo doesn't fight me next and I got to fight David Morrell, whoever, it don't matter. I mean, I'm the best in this division. I will show it. I think what's been great about you now is that you, you're not waiting. You're not just saying, all right, I'm going to wait to see if that payday comes down the line like a lot of guys have done yeah. in the past. What, was it important for you one way or the other to get back out this year and fight in a big fight? Yeah, definitely. It definitely was. Um, 
And to be honest with you, we seen that Munguia was at 68. We tried to get a fight with him because that would have been a massive fight too, but he didn't want to do it. Yeah, I can say there's a 0.0% chance Munguia is <laughs> yeah. people will go in with you yeah. unless the money was astronomical. We he, were negotiating. We were negotiating for two months, and then mm. it, at the end, it just they didn't go do with it. But um, yeah, man, like I said, we're just we're very excited, bro. Mm. Um, I really do want to be the best in the division. And like I said, I'm just getting as much as experience as I, as I can until I get in the fight with Canelo, mm -hmm. you know, then I'm going to be hundred percent ready for it. And, uh, like I said, um, I'm going to be the best in this division and I'm, a, I, I want to, I definitely want to be the best in my generation too. So I, I just got to keep working and keep beating everybody. That's the only way I'm going to accomplish that goal. When Demetrius Andre was brought up to you, what was your reaction about that fight? Um, yeah, I liked it. You know, I, I, I don't, I, me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fighter at heart. You know what I mean? I, I just love to fight. It doesn't matter who it is they put in front of me. I'll fight whoever. And, um, they said that, Hey, that was the biggest challenge to face mm -hmm. you know he has accolades he has you know all the all the, the track records and all that so let's do it you know mm -hmm. there hasn't been a man i can't beat you know what i mean as much as people want to you know criticize me about everything else at the end of the day when i get in when i get in the ring it's a clear victory mm -hmm. so it, i mean I, I just want to keep showing them you know and andre's one of those guys that i mean i called a lot of his fights for years on the zone and like he, he just couldn't get a fight he had money behind him he had a belt behind him and yet nobody would get in the ring in them. Jamal Charlo out there in your undercard. I mean, he was offered north of $5 million to fight this guy, and he wouldn't get in the ring with him. When when, when you st have started to study him, can you see why? Can you see kind of the, the trickiness of, of how he fights when you think about how you're going to fight him? Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, I feel like all those people, like, they didn't have confidence in themselves. Like, I, he's not unbeatable. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? He's been hurt a lot. He's been hurt like four or five times. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and I just feel better because this is at my natural weight. He's coming up to 168. The guy he fought uh, last fight, Demal Nicholson, hmm. he had an okay performance. But then you look at the performance that Berlanga put against him. Berlanga beat, really beat him up. Hmm. And I considered Demetrius Andre better than Berlanga. You know hmm. what I mean? So that just says a lot right there. But, I mean, he's really good, but he, I don't, he's, not, he's not an extremely well fighter that can't be beaten. Hmm. You know, and then I'm not scared of nobody. Like I said, this is why I'm taking this challenge, and this is why I'm going to show people how good I am. Hmm. Is this a similar type of fight to Caleb Plant? Yeah, it definitely is a similar mm -hmm. fight. Um, the only thing is that he's lefty, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's going to be using the ring, uh, trying to use the ring a lot. Hopefully they have mm -hmm. a referee that doesn't let him hug all night, just like how Kenny Bayless did to mm -hmm. Caleb Plant. And the ring is smaller. You know, the ring is smaller this time, so he's not going to have that much room to run. So, But whatever, like, whatever he does, like I said, this is my job. It's my job to figure somebody out, and I've done that up to this date and you know and i'm very hungry i'm very motivated i'm getting better my you know my ring iq is getting better too so i'm mm. not going to be stopped let me ask you about the motivation part of it because this is demetrius Andrade's super bowl like this is the fight he has been waiting for his entire career you were looking for a canelo fight down the line you just had a big fight against caleb plant how have you been able to stay motivated at that highest of levels for this particular fight? Oh, this after my last fight, I think it's probably the most motivated I've ever been. I think I only took two weeks off and I was in the gym the whole time. So I could really say instead of the three months, I probably had like a seven-month camp because I was mm -hmm. just training the whole time. Obviously, you have to, when your body gets tired, you take the necessary breaks so you don't burn yourself. But I, I only took like three weeks off, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I've been watching boxing the whole time. I, I really love this. You know, this is really my passion. This is what I love to do. So I try to learn new things every day. And uh, we feel really good for this camp. We mm -hmm. feel amazing. And I feel like I'm, I'm coming into my prime. So I'm very motivated and very um, confident in my skills. How is your, you said you're only a couple pounds off as we sit here on Wednesday. How is, I mean, you're a big guy. How is making 168? Is it getting harder? Is it 
the same? And how would you describe it? To be honest with you, I don't think it's getting harder. I think it's just that I had to, I had to learn the um, the right way to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of boxers don't know the right way to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And when I missed weight that one time, it really opened my eyes. The diet was wrong. You know, you're supposed to be drinking two gallons mm -hmm. of water every single day. And then when you want to drop weight, you cut the water off the last, mm -hmm. the last two days. And that really just has the water come off. And then, um, you know, that's just what we learn from everything. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't say it's harder. It's probably easier. It's just that you just really got to be dedicated to the mm -hmm. diet. Really got to be dedicated to the water and to the diet. And if you take care of that, it will take care of you. Do you look at the 168-pound division as... I mean, I think it's one of the most interesting divisions in boxing because it maybe it doesn't have the star power of some others necessarily in depth, but you've got Berlanga, who's a name. You yourself, top of the division. Munguia, if he ever fights anybody, you know, is is somebody right there. Like, do you, what do you think of the 168-pound division right now? I think it's a very stacked division. Um, very stacked, very stacked. Um, I just feel like we all got to come together and fight, you know, um, but I, it's a very stacked division, and, you know, I'm just very happy to be putting on these great fights. Um I mean, I had one hard fight last March, and I'm taking another one, you know what I mean? So I just feel like I'm really doing my job and um, really giving the people um, the fights they want to see. If you beat Demetrius Andrade, especially if you stop him, are you the fighter of the year? Because I think this fighter of the year is going to be one of the most interesting things. And it could go right into December with Devin Haney fighting against Regis Progre. Uh, I wouldn't put Sonny Edwards, I guess, in that mix. But some other some other good fights you know, down the line. Is are you think you deserve... Fighter of the year, if you win this fight. Um, I definitely do. In the way I think I'm gonna win this fight, I definitely do. Um, but to be honest with you, if I don't get it, I'm not gonna be bummed <laughs> out. I don't really look at things that way. Um, I'm just very happy just to be a part of the sport and part of putting on these great fights and you know making the fans giving them what they want to see. So if it's not the accolades of fighter of the year, what is the primary source of motivation? Is it money? Is it titles? Like what do you look at? Oh, I never let money get in the way of anything. I always said that if you do your job correctly and you put the passion in, the money's gonna come on its <laughs> own. And I've been making a lot of good, a lot of money since you know for a while already. So, my dream um, when I was a little kid is that I want to be the best of my generation when I retire. That there's no doubt that I'm the best, and that we're still we're still following that game plan. Um, but it's getting it's getting close. You know, what I mean, I've, I feel like once I get that fight with Canelo, everybody's gonna see how good I really am. And then it's just to continue to dominate after that, and um, just being a role model for the kids. You know, a lot of kids are overweight that people tell them they can never do nothing. I want them to look at me and be a prime and have me be a prime example of why all those people are full of shit. You know what I mean? Um, anything can be done as long as you put your mind to it. And um, I just want to be that voice and that, um, you know, for kids that never get, you know, that don't get that spotlight. Kids that are boxers, but they're not the top amateurs. They're not the top this, they're not the top that. As long as they have the heart and they're willing to put the, their, their heart and soul into boxing, and it will take care of you, and I'm living proof of that. You still look at those old pictures of yourself from back in the day. I mean, yeah. people that have now watched your career, all access, things like that, they've yeah. gotten a good look at what David Benavidez was back in the day. Yeah, it, and it, it's, uh, it really surprises me a lot because I came a long way, bro. It was, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. You know, that's what I'm saying. Um, I know exactly how hard it is and, you know, how much it messes with a, a kid's mental when you tell him he can't be nothing when he's a bigger kid, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So... This was really hard, but I'm just happy that I was able to put the work in and get that done. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I'm just very excited to be here in this moment. Last question for you. You know, I didn't think, you know, I, I never want to say Canelo avoids anybody because he doesn't. Like, he's fought all the best. I mean, and if you had a title when he was going through super middleweight, he would have fought you. I'm convinced of that. But if you win this fight, coming off a plant win, coming off an Andrade win, is it even possible for him to fight anybody but you next? I know there's talk about Crawford, and, you know, and, and 
the marketability maybe of that fight, but there would be a win on Saturday. I don't think we'd leave any doubt who the guy to fight would be. Yeah, that'd be a no question at all. And I feel like um, I feel like Canelo is a great fighter, but I feel like now he doesn't have nobody else to fight unless he's going to go up to 175 again or go down to 160. Um, I feel like right now I haven't, I don't even, I wasn't really too uh, upset that I didn't get to fight because I'm still 26 years old, mm-hmm. still getting a lot of experience. So. Whenever the fight happens, bro, it's going to be the, one of the best fights in Mexican boxing history. David Benavidez, good to catch up, man. See you Saturday. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jim Lampley, Lance Pugmeyer, and David Benavidez for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.